Red Podcast uh, with Dan and JJ. Um, you know, we're coming off of the the loss to the New York Jets over 24 hours ago, and it still hurts. That is That was a team that, you know, if you listen to the podcast regularly, you know we thought was pretty inferior. Um, certainly inferior in terms of quarterback play, but the the uh, second year rough, you know, rough around the edges QB with some athletic talent in that game was not Zach Wilson. It was Josh Allen, and um, we're now at here, you know, in the evening on Monday having some unfortunate uh, news breaking that it looks like Josh Allen may be out for some amount of time. You know, either that's a week or a few weeks or longer. God forbid longer. Dan, I'm in a dark place and I'm spiraling out of control. How are you? I am. Uh, I'm joining you in that dark place, my friend. We are. We're recording this pod uh, very, very recently after the Josh Allen news broke earlier in the day. There were some uh, reports coming out of Buffalo that it was a minor injury. It was worth monitoring. And then after Sean McDermott's uh, press com- Monday presser today, uh, he put a very much more real world spin. On, uh, on, the, on those earlier reports saying that Allen right now looks like he has suffered damage to his UCL and his throw and in the elbow of his throwing arm and there may be some related nerve damage with an out of conference foe coming up this Sunday at 1 p.m. Uh, odds are better than not that Allen is is likely going to sit that game because the bills have said all season long they're in it for the long haul. Um, they got Case Keenum, a capable backup, in the event that something happened to happen to Allen. So the lines in Vegas have not moved much on this game yet, but I have a feeling that starting tomorrow morning, we're going to see the lines move in anticipation that, that Allen may not be playing. Now, they're going to get definitive word tomorrow, Tuesday, after a further examination. But, um, but right now, everyone is kind of holding their breath in Orchard Park because it looks like Allen is going to miss at least Sunday. Yeah, and I think we we all knew. I mean, any team in the league, it's widely and well known that you know, save the um, what was it, the twenty eighteen uh, Eagles, nobody's going out there and winning the Super Bowl with their backup QB usually. And so, um, yeah, Nick Foles, here's for here's yeah, to Nick you, Foles. here's to you, buddy. Um, so with that all said, you know, uh, certainly the injury looks like it came on. Uh, one of the last, the third down play, one of the last plays of the game, um, Josh Allen was in the pocket, had his arm hit, the ball stripped out, put them back an extra nine or ten yards. Um, and that, you know, you could see the stress, you know, his, he, he had all the force he was generating into a, probably a deep pass, um, and then his hand got hung up on the ball, which was being pat, blasted out of his hand by um, the edge rusher. And so... You can imagine that that strain could have messed something up there, um, you know. And, and common UCL tears may feel like a pop, so let's hope that didn't happen because that would be a much, much longer, um, you know, re- recovery, uh, physical therapy, and surgery. Based on my very brief googling, are the ways to come back from a UCL? Uh, JJ WebMD, very nice way yeah. to bring the internet surgery research the only, to the pod. <laughs> only required if there's a full tear. So I'm guessing what they're waiting on right now. Um, with that one to two delay of the severity is they're waiting to see MRI and have MRI results um, developed in red so that they know how significant. If there's a tear or if it's just soreness, I think we're all hoping for soreness. Yeah, I think we all are the, hoping for you know, soreness. Just, 
just to dive down into that that you know rabbit hole even further, the UCL is the ulnar collateral ligament. By the way, <laughs> um, oh, you should have been a know. doctor, man. You should have been a doctor. I, I work in a medical school now, I guess. So you know, you, picking, you picking up by osmosis some terms. <laughs> you you rattled all of that off as if you were reading it from a patient's chart. Very impressive, I have to say. Yes. Uh, my so, my mood has brightened yeah. with the range you bring to this pod. <laughs> I appreciate it. I like to be the, the comic relief in an otherwise dark time. Let's talk <laughs> about that dark time, though. I mean, Josh Allen injury, of course, is the headline because that's all breaking right now. Um, but the dark time really started after the third offensive drive of the Buffalo Bills, uh, you know, yesterday afternoon against the Jets. Um what we saw was we saw the Buffalo Bills come out to a very early and what we believe to be the start of an absolute curb stomping, you know, boat racing victory of 14 to three. And then they just were not able to do anything at all ever again. Um, tell me, <laughs> tell me about the roller coaster of your experiences through that game. You know, I, even, I, even even after the Bills jumped out to that fourteen to three lead, it, it it didn't necessarily feel like the Jets were that far off. The Jets came out in the first half playing a lot of man, which we have seen the past few weeks. The Packers and the Chiefs simply try to play more man to um, you know change up the timing on these wideouts, knock them off some of these option routes, and it, and the Bills were were as they usually do having success against man. In the second half, the Jets completely changed their game plan. We've talked about the Bills being able to adjust to what the opposing team is doing in the second half. The Jets were like, man is not working against this team. That So what they did is they dropped back into that cover two shell that we saw so many teams um, deploy last year against the Chiefs and against the Bills uh, to varying degrees of success. But the Jets were a team, and we, we kind of talked about this in, in the preview pod, the Jets were a team that, with their ability to get pressure with four, four down linemen, uh, they were pretty ideally suited to run that type of defense with success against Josh Allen. Now, what we had also assumed going into that is because the Bills have almost exclusively seen that defense for the past, let's say, 24 games, including last year in the postseason, um, that they had some, some stuff that could combat that. But the Bills made, unlike previous previous games, made absolutely no changes to their game plan. They continued to attack downfield. Stefan Diggs was taken completely out of it after five receptions on 10 targets for 90-plus yards in the first half. Didn't have a single reception in the second half. And it wasn't Sauce Gardner that was shutting him down. It was DJ Reed, because Sauce, for the most part, was on Gabe Davis. So the Bills, who had seemed to have a lot of answers in the checkdown game and in the slot game last year with the use of Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, had zero answers for that zone defense in the second half. Allen was under pressure for 36% of his dropbacks, and the Jets' J.J. only blitzed twice in that game. The offensive line completely fell apart, and the injury to Allen is something that I think we have discussed on this pod is at some point, unless you invest in the offensive line or their play gets better, you're going to get your quarter of a billion a billion dollar quarterback um, hurt or worse. And right now it looks like that that offensive line play 
may cost Josh Allen and the Bills a couple of games with Case Keenum in, Case Keenum in the lineup. Um, but, I mean, listen, we're going to talk a lot about this from the Bills' perspective, and I've seen a lot about Twitter on Twitter about how this was kind of like the Miami game. It was fluky. This was not the Miami game. The Bills could have and should have won the Miami game. Miami didn't play good enough to win that game. The Bills beat themselves. The Jets dominated this game dominated this game and we're going to talk about the defense and we're going to talk about their inability to stop the run but really this loss is on the shoulders of that offense and josh allen because he played maybe his worst game of the season and definitely his worst game going back to last year against jacksonville in my opinion what did you see jj yeah i mean i saw the same i know that you know i was saying that they jumped out to a 14-3 lead but i feel the same that you felt in that at that moment, with a two-score lead, I was I did not feel super comfortable. I was not, because it didn't feel like, even the Miami game, though the score was closer, I felt was more in hand for the Bills, because they were running roughshod all over the Miami defense, wherever Agreed. they wanted to, and then they were just missing opportunities in the red zone. Um, this one was just like, I, I didn't feel comfortable, we had the lead, I was really worried we wouldn't be able to hold it, we didn't, we weren't able to hold it, and I do have a lot of criticism about the defense, but the defense was playing at half the game minus four starters and the other half of the game minus three starters. And there was a lot of problems I noticed when I was kind of rewatching the game today um, that the defense did. But if your defense can hold the opposing team to 20 points and you have Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, Devin Singletary, Naeem Hines, James Cook, like you should be able to manufacture win that something game. to get you over... Yeah, you should get over 20 points. The Bills have, you know, were ad- averaging 30 points a game for a very long time. It's not unreasonable for your defense to put up a 20-point day, um, you know, in defense, and then to come out with a win there. And the Bills had done that multiple times, you know, in the past 20 games. And the, the offense just could not get it done. It was the worst outing from Josh Allen in a very, very long time. it's It was only his sixth start of his entire career where he had less than a 48 overall QBR. Um, and one of the last time that he had a start like that, I think it was the Atlanta game uh, last year. He, as a passer, yeah. he was absolutely terrible. Um, and then prior to that Atlanta game, it was the Jaguars, which was almost exactly one year to the day uh, of this Jets game. The, the Jaguars was one year ago today, um, and the Jets game, of course, being yesterday, exactly one year apart, two absolutely abysmal offensive performances. Um, and if it weren't for Josh Allen's legs, they really had nothing going on. A few deep shots to Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen's legs was the only story of the day, and it wasn't enough. Um, and the, the one note on Josh Allen's legs, it, it looked like 2019 Josh. He was reverting back to not being able to see the field, not being able to hit the throws. I'm just going to scramble for everything. Mm-hmm. And that worked. That worked for them to get some scores. That worked for him to do an incredibly insane headstand thing after his rushing touchdown, which was like literally the bright point of the whole day. And I'm going to get a little bit more WebMD on you. I've rewatched that thing a few times. And just the physiomechanics of that move are <laughs> obscene. His hands, his hands did not connect with the ground until after he had jackknifed his entire body straight up in the air, like 230 pounds of his frame, into a headstand on just his head, using just his levator scapulae muscle and his trapezius <laughs> muscle. Come on. That like, right there. That's it. 
that right there is the pre-cut into the intro right there. The lab- labius scabulus whatever is muscle you just said. That's the pre-cut <laughs> heading into the intro for today's pod. That's an that and, is and incredible. The, hey, you didn't put any of this in the show notes. This is this is amazing. I you're didn't just do, you're riffing. This, this is amazing. <laughs> extemporaneously. Um the the levator scapulae is a small motor muscle, but the yeah. but the trapezius, that's a big muscle group, right? You know your traps. People talk about their traps. So you have to use those to do pull-ups. That's a much stronger muscle. It's possible. But both combined shouldn't be able to jackknife a person's body straight up in the air. I still think Josh Allen's an, an alien or an X-Men, and I just hope he has Wolverine's healing ability. Yes, I do as well. Um, and way to, way to bring it back to the point The point we we're all concerned about was this Josh Allen self. Yeah. Um, going away from the, the physiological capabilities of Josh Allen, let's talk about a little bit of the play that we saw on the field. We've already talked about what the Jets' strategy was. And it, again, worked to great effect, particularly in the second half. Allen was sacked a season high five times. That's the most sacks yep. that Josh Allen has suffered since the Jacksonville game last year where he suffered six sacks. Um, and like the Green Bay game, you know, we, we were all kind of hyping, um, all of us that have, you know, Buffalo Bills takes and podcasts and Twitter accounts, we were all looking forward to that Sauce gardner Stefan Diggs matchup. And Gardner was on Diggs for all of one possession. It was the first Bills possession where Gardner looked like he slipped on a Diggs double move and got burned for 42 yards. After that, and I think this was part of the game plan from Salah, not a reaction to to Gardner getting burned, they threw him on, on Gabe Davis. And DJ Reed did an exceptional job, an exceptional job of covering Diggs. Diggs only caught half of his targets, and according to NFL Next Gen Stats, only had an average separation of 1.73 yards on all of his catches. League average is 2.92 yards, and you are considered really good if you get three yards of separation when a pass is targeted your way. And and DJ Reed limited Diggs to half of that. Now, again, speaking of aliens, Stefan Diggs basically had a New, New Jersey Jet glued to him the whole game and still came away with five receptions in the first half. But they locked up Diggs in the second half good. Um, and, and, you know, I, dude, I, I think we got to talk about Gabe Davis and his production yeah. because he, he was supposed to be the legit number two, take the top off the defense, alleviate some of that safety pressure that Diggs saw last year in bracket coverage um, because of his deep threat capability. And... You know, opposing teams, this is the second week in a row where we see their number one DB on Gabe Davis and not Stefan Diggs. It's almost as if teams are content to let Diggs get his seven for 110 and one TD, but they're not going to let anyone else in that offense beat him, including Davis. And we know Davis is not a big separation guy. His catch radius is amazing, but he's not a burner, as we've talked about. He's a strider, and he doesn't get a lot of separation. So lots of contested catches, and as a result, he's had quite a few drops in his career, and he had two big ones in this game as well. So when you put a guy like Sauce Gardner, who is basically like glue on all of all of his wideouts and is great in zone and is great in man, I mean, you're, you're going to take Davis away. Same thing with Jair Alexander last week against Green Bay. Alexander... While all the drawing was between Diggs and him, he played a majority of his snaps on Gabe Davis. It's just the way the way the game plan went. So opposing teams have found a way to neutralize Davis. Um, I want to go through just really quickly his last five games. Now, the Pittsburgh game, that was the insane game. Three receptions, two touchdowns, 171 yards. Beyond that, though, Baltimore, 
one reception for 13 yards, zero TDs. KC, three for 74 with a TD, admirable. Green Bay, two for 35, no TDs. And then against the Jets, two for th- two uh, receptions for 33 yards. Gabe Davis on the year is is still projected to get over 1,000 yards, but his production the last five games outside of that Pittsburgh game, uh, that tells me one of two things. Davis wasn't ready for primetime and potentially a little overhyped after that KC game, or opposing defenses are perfectly happy to put all of their attention on limiting the big play to Davis, let Diggs eat in the intermediate parts of the field, but really take away one of Josh Allen's favorite weapons. And it looks like that's what's happening. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, and that's that's what we saw. We've seen in every game that the Bills have been really limited on offense and haven't looked themselves, is that they're focusing their best coverage player on Davis and then doubling digs. And that's, you know, we even were texting about it during uh, during the game. That's the classic Belichick plan. Like, I am going to put my best guy on your second best guy, and then I'm going to put extra bodies on your best guy. Right. And that, you know, the average two average players doubling your best receiver will be enough to keep, you know, the big play top on, and then my shutdown corner is going to erase your... And then what? You got you got your third option, and there's no, you know, there's no other availability for you. And that's the problem, I think, with the Buffalo Bills offense right now, is there is no reliable and definitely no explosive third option. Josh Allen does not have the super, you know, reliable, you know, vet savvy in, in zone coverage finding the soft spots when they drop into a two-deep shell... Um, like he has had when he had Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, and those aren't the answers either. Those are not, you know, those players aren't going to come walking through the door and save this team. They're both, I think, they're both retired at this point. Not either of them assigned to a roster, um, and you're not going to call them out of retirement because they they just probably physically don't have it. I know Beasley started um, wavering near the end of last season in that in that regard too. So. Um, they don't have a third option, and you know I think Naheem Hines was a was a purpose. You know I think that they are trying to be attentive to it, but it's real hard at this point in the season to get somebody. Um, you'd even said you know when we were kind of chatting back and forth that you thought the Jer- Jerry Judy was the move at the trade deadline that they did not land. He would have potentially been able to come in and been a more reliable slot option, um, or at least let them kind of mix up the Davis Diggs and then Judy. Um, operation out there and without that i i'm really uh i'm really worried i'm worried about the bills having something to beat the two deep shell if josh allen is not able to sling it into all these little tight windows whenever it is that he comes back healthy um because that's what beat the two deep shell you know last season when they kind of turned things on against tampa and then all the way through the end of the end of the year was teams were in that two deep shell and he was slicing them up underneath with dawson knox and um, the run game got started and was was clicking along very solidly, so the you know the teams did not have an answer, um, and we've kind of lost that thread again, and it's, it seems off track right now. Yeah, let, let's talk about that third option. Um, right now, as we we talk about this pod, these are stats including the Jets game. The Buffalo Bills' third leading receiver behind Davis and Diggs is Devin Singletary, which is something no one would have predicted at the beginning of the season. Um, the apparent logjam or embarrassment of riches that we thought we had at the slot with Crowder, Shakir, and McKenzie has turned out not to pan out, and Dawson Knox is having one of his worst statistical seasons since his rookie year with the Buffalo Bills. Um, Through seven games, because remember, Knox missed a game, um, Knox has 17 receptions for 158 yards, 
two TDs. Now, again, it, TDs are one of those things that you need, you love, and and we all love that that game-winning TD that Knox had against Kansas City. Felt very cathartic in that moment. But Knox has not been that explosive option for Allen in the red zone like he was last year, but also in moving the chains. When you look at what the Buffalo Bills were their most productive in their first four or five games of the season, they were exceptionally productive on first and second down. They were one of the top three teams and moving the chains on first and second down because they were doing a great job scripting guys. And I mean, when's the last time Reggie Gilliam caught a pass? Like Reggie Gilliam was a was not a huge part, but a nice wrinkle that Dorsey had added into to many of these game plans um, and was catching a few balls. There were a lot of Vegas prop bets that eventually got to, will Reggie Gilliam catch a TD pass this game? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and all that's yeah. gone away. All that's gone away. McKenzie threw seven games. 18 receptions for 170 yards and three TDs. I mean, Tyreek Hill just had that, like, in one game against the Detroit Lions. You know what I mean? Um, And Singletary on the season, 23 for 183 and a touchdown. There's no viable third option. And I think more importantly, there is no one moving the chains through the air. And we know the Bills struggle on the run. They're not moving the chains on the ground unless it's Allen tucking tucking and running. Last season, and I had to look this up because I couldn't believe it. Last season, as a point of comparison, the Buffalo Bills had four total pass catchers that had over 30 first downs. Stefan Diggs led the way with 66, uh, 66 first downs through the air. Then you had Knox, Beasley, and Emmanuel Sanders. Two of those guys are not on the team anymore. And Gabe Davis in limited reps last year was not far behind with 29 first downs. This year already, Stefan Diggs accounts for 39 first downs through the air this season on pace for 82 compared to 66 last year and no one else on this team is on pace for 30. So it's not just scoring it's about consistently moving the chains and the Buffalo Bills save for the Rams game that was perfectly scripted and Allen completed his first 10 passes. The Pittsburgh game where Allen completed his first 12 passes, I think, of that game and got into a really great rhythm. Save for those two games, the Buffalo Bills are struggling to consistently move the chains through the air. And who the hell thought we would have been talking about that at the beginning, at this point in the season? It's unfathomable to think about. But right now, the air attack for the Buffalo Bills is lacking a third viable slot option to assist with this cover two zone and to make some hay and man as well. They're really reliant on either Diggs making hay, making hay or a check down to Singletary, and that seems to be it. Yeah, it's it's sputtering. It's sputtering right now, and you know, I don't I don't have I don't have an answer for it. I, I'm worried a little bit that this what we're seeing is a combination of two things. I think what we're seeing is that lack of a third option. We're seeing a pretty awful situation from guard to guard. Um, Mitch Morse not excluded. He gave up some really awful pressure in in that game yesterday. Um, And so we're seeing some awful play from guard to guard. Questenberry was clearly not starting caliber tackle when the Titans let him walk and the Bills signed him. And as much as I was really frustrated with Spencer Brown, I'm actually worse, you know, worse off with Questenberry. Questenberry is the reason that Josh Allen's hurt right now, mm-hmm. um, because he got so badly beat on that edge rush, 
And so I just think we're seeing a combination of not having a third option, the offensive line being abysmal because the Buffalo Bills front office has refused to invest any reasonable like draft picks, high draft picks in youth at that and talent in the offensive line. Um, instead, they're picking complete knuckleheads like AJ Epineza and Boogie Basham and Terrell Bernard, who looked completely lost and incapable of making any play against the Jets whatsoever. Um, he's a huge liability for any time that Matt Milano misses that they're relying on Terrell Bernard. Um, it's a problem. He has a it's big a downgrade. Long road. Yeah, he has a he has an incredible and it's a downgrade from most linebackers are a downgrade from Milano. I'll give you that. Um, and Terrell Bernard is a first first round you know or, um, I'm sorry first year rookie picked in the third round. Uh, but he just I mean. Even Milano's rookie year, you saw late in the year when he came on after eight or nine games, you were like, oof, this guy's he's got it. Terrell Bernard didn't have a single play that I thought he made that was even reasonable. Uh, it was all bad, all the time. He didn't seem like he was reading. It, so I, there's a lot of different things. I'm all over the place. Um, because they haven't invested <laughs> in the so line. Emotional. That's where I'm going with this. Yeah. So emotional I know, I'm right just, now. I'm, I'm a scramble of emotion. Um, but I was talking about the offense, and I, I mentioned the line, and I mentioned their missed draft picks that they've invested in defensive players in the top four rounds who have been comp- basically wasted draft picks, in my opinion, at this point. Um, and now we're at this place where Josh Allen's getting beat up, uh, as we knew. Uh, quarterbacks, you know, anyone who's like, oh, Josh Allen shouldn't run it, you know, he's going to get killed. Um, quarterbacks, with the exception of RG3, who've had career-ending injuries or season-ending injuries or even, you know, multi-week injuries, will get, the, get those injuries in the pockets. They don't often get them as runners in the field because you can kind of protect yourself and you know what's coming. Um, and so that's a problem. And then finally, I, I think we're seeing growing pains from Ken Dorsey. I think he had a punch, and then he may have had one or two counter punches. But he's out of punches at this point, and he doesn't seem to be able to scheme against teams that are preparing for what he likes to put on on the field. And I think that that's what you're seeing is you're seeing he likes to play a certain way, and uh, and he doesn't have a way to pivot away from that. And the teams are scheming to stop it, and it's working. Well, we got we got our we got the return of our favorite uh, McDermottism in his presser uh, after the game. You know, he he rolled out the offense was a little one dimensional, i.e., run oh, the ball yeah. more, Ken. Right. So, um, and, and I I agree with you. This this game from Dorsey was his most Dayball esque game, I think, and that's no shade at Dayball. Dayball at points would just become a stubborn ass play caller and would like would not want to deviate and this is the first time I think we saw that from Dorsey. I mean, they were just they were so committed even after the Jets went to that cover 2 shell. They were so committed to try to beat the Jets downfield. Josh Allen was 1 for 8 JJ on throws of more than 20 yards downfield and that one was the first pass of the game to Stefan Diggs. He went 0 for 7 the rest of the way clearly wasn't working if you take out that 0 for 7 then josh allen's stat line looks exactly like zach wilson's and i can't believe i'm saying this but maybe is good enough to win that game (laughs) like and and you know the the other thing too that i think we've seen with dorsey in the growing pains is some of the like the the inability to involve mckenzie in a meaningful way um in, in breaking up zone coverage um and you know part of it again falls on Allen too though 
Like, it, I get that McKenzie really struggled to get separation yesterday and generally struggles to get separation. Gabe Davis, not a big separation guy. Stefan Diggs is really the only guy on that team that can get reliable separation. We've talked about the, the lack of elite speed. Um, but yesterday, when targeted on the few occasions that, that McKenzie and Davis could get separation, they were actually getting it. They had that full three-plus yards of clearance that you're really looking for out of your wideouts on their targets. And Allen at points was just missing wide-open targets. Mm-hmm. Some of that, some of that is definitely in the offensive line. I think Josh, for the first time this season, was really getting happy feet in the pocket and was looking to tuck it and run a little bit earlier than it should have. There was a couple of times he broke the pocket where the protection was okay, um, but you know, again, Dorsey did not do a good job of taking the pressure off Josh. He he kind of played into it. I mean, I, how many carries did did Cook and Singletary have in the second half combined? I think it was only four carries. I mean, those are relatively yeah. close game, and the Buffalo Bills abandoned the run like they were down by three scores against the New York Jets, which, I mean, for as good as that defense played, that offense was literally just trying to make no mistakes. They were trying not to screw up the perfect game that the defense was pitching. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's not like they needed to chuck their way back into it, but they completely abandoned the run. And when we've seen Josh get like that, we know that having a safety valve or having some pressure release in the form of a of a running back catching the ball out of the backfield, a screen game, or a traditional rushing game has done wonders to calm Josh down. None of that was present from Dorsey in the play calling yesterday. Well, and I think especially the point that you, you bring up about the screen game, I was, I was like screaming at the TV to run a screen because the Jets in the second half when they saw that the Bills were going to come out and just try to sling it, and abandoned the run, they just pinned their ears back and were over-pursuing. They were getting out of rush lanes. It was it, it was right there for the taking. Like, you, they couldn't just hand it off and run straight up the gut They or bring Bobby Hart in as an extra lineman. They did, that's what they did. They Bobby Hart came in eligible at the end of the line every rushing play that they tried in the first half. And that's also a problem, is when you're broadcasting to the defense – we are not good enough to block a run front and get some positive yardage. We're going to bring in an extra offensive lineman and replace a skill position player with him. You're basically negating the fact that there's that there's a possibility for a pass because it gives the coverage players an advantage when they have less people to cover out in space. And essentially, you're just broadcasting you're going to run it. And like I know that they have at times been able to do some of that and then do like the naked rollout. Um, you know, and I think Josh's running play might even been on one of those where mm-hmm. they faked to one side and then just rolled to the other. And that's great. Like that does work. But for the most part, it's just the mess. The message that I see every time I see that is the Buffalo Bills offense knows it doesn't have a good enough line to ever win five on four football and make positive hay in the rushing game. And that's just, that's sad. And that's, that comes back on Brandon Bean. I mean, you can only do so much with the players you have. Um, and I think the challenge is laid at the feet of, of, you know, Ken Dorsey. I think it's laid at the feet of, um, uh, the offensive line and Greg, not Greg Roman. Uh, who am I thinking of? The Aaron Cromer. Coach. Aaron, Aaron Cromer was here when Greg Roman was the offensive coordinator. Um, but yeah, Aaron Cromer, uh, Cromer's got to get it done. The bills have to come up with, with better solutions, um, for protecting Josh Allen, hoping that you know he's he's back in sooner rather than later. There's a lot of problems on the offense, and it's weird to say that because they're still one of the best performing offenses in the league. Because 
they haven't had a loss where they were even down, you know, in single digits yet uh, in terms of scoring points. So um, it's really uh, it's it's something to be fixed. It, it is, and there's not a lot of answers for fixing this offensive line. Ike Bucker is going to come back. He'll provide some depth on the interior, but also not a world beater. He's not, he's not, we know what we got with Bucker other than when, you know, yeah. unlike when, when um, Bates came off the bench last year, there were rumblings the dude could play. There was frustration that they weren't playing him more on the interior because he was basically the team's only backup center and, and folks were concerned about Morse's health and whatnot. Um, and then finally they stubbornly let Bates in last year. And that's when the whole thing unlocked. It, it, it is a tried and true truth that if you can get pressure up the interior on any QB, I don't care if it's Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, for all of their escapability, right? Except for Tom Brady. I don't know why I threw him in there. Brady, any kind of pressure <laughs> bothers Brady. The guy's a statue back Good there. Good pressure, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. But even the Lamar Jackson, the, mo- the, most es- the most escape-ready skilled QBs will always cave to pressure that's coming right up the middle. And the Buffalo Bills, year after year, have not addressed the interior of that offensive line. Now, the Buffalo Bills are com- coming into this game. We're giving up the third most total pressures on the QB in the league. In the league, JJ. Um, they, have been, <clears throat> they have been 24th in run block win rate, according to ESPN Next Gen Stats. Um, or ESPN uh, Stats and Analytics. And we know they can't run consistently. When that offensive line got fixed last year, the Buffalo Bills were able to run the ball successfully with Devin Singletary. They have had spurts of improvement this year where they've been able to run the ball, albeit against defensive lines that are inferior when compared with, um, with, the, with the New York Jets. Uh, the good news for the Buffalo Bills is like we're not going to see a see a defensive front four a lot like the Jets um, because there's just not a lot of teams on the schedule that have it. Uh, but unfortunately, two of those teams that do have the ability to rush three or rush four and clog up run lanes and and give uh, give Josh Allen some some pause in the pressure game are in the division. It's the Jets and it's the Patriots. And we've got one more against New Jersey and we've got two coming up against New England, both in December. So I I don't know what the solution here is coaching them up or whatever, but the pressure really is on Dorsey to make the same adjustments that Dable made last year when the offensive line was faltering. And we're going to see what Dorsey's made of in this Minnesota game, whether or not Allen plays. We're going to see what he does with the scheme and see if it's of the same caliber and of the same efficacy that it was with Dayball last year. Well, and I know that I, I just said, like, you know, no team losing its starting quarterback really has a chance. Like, that's that's a thing for a reason. We, people say it all the time. And I still hold that as true. But, you know, the entire world, especially, like, the betting world, saying that the Bills are, Bills are the odds-on favorite is um is a reference to you know them having a complete roster and being a complete team and you know if Dorsey is worth his salt as an offensive coordinator even his first year he needs to prove that he can use this excellently talented roster and make some hay against anybody even if his quarterback's down it it needs to be a valiant effort um it can't just be a complete slog uh and I worry I mean I was just you know commenting to a friend of mine that was at the the Jets game on Facebook about the fact that, you know, they were at the Jaguars game a year ago and that popped up in their memories. And I already mentioned that 
Um, that Jaguars game was the start of like a six or seven game slog where the Bills were losing one, winning one, losing one. And I just hope that that's not what we're in for, you know. And it might be with Case Keenum at the helm for sure. Um, he's not Josh Allen, but, geez, uh, it, it's tough. There's a lot of problems on the offense, and I think that they have a lot of work to do ahead of them. But let's talk about the defense, you know, to kind of finish this recap and, and get the rest of the blood out. Um <sighs> Because we stuck this pig already. We might as well finish the job. Um, <laughs> so it, with key missing pieces, they, they did not have um, Matt Milano, as we've already mentioned, and I've already roasted Terrell. Huge uh, loss, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I've already roasted uh, his backup, Terrell Bernard. And, you know, Edmonds was trying to do too much. That's when he always gets in trouble throughout his career. Um, when Tremaine Edmonds is trying to fix all the woes of the defense on his own is when he's out of position and he was quite a few times um Jaquan Johnson proved again why Damar Hamlin got the start over him when Micah Hyde went down for the season um even though he has more experience in the system it's because he's slow and he's small um and he got pushed around quite a lot in that game missed a ton of tackles oh my god yeah he's he's a good he's a good heads up player he's a good football player Jaquan Johnson is and he does good things in coverage. He is just small and slow in, in the realm of the NFL. He's, you know, wicked fast, strong, and, and bigger than most. But um, but in the realm <laughs> of the NFL and the position he plays, he is, you know, he's getting beat for those reasons. And I don't think, you know, <laughs> I think the Greg Tomset from Cover One tweeted, um, Drew Rosenhaus walks into Brandon Bean's office, you know, sets down a player contract on the desk, gestures vaguely at Jaquan Johnson and then slides <laughs> it across to Bean. Like, that's, I mean, you know, I mean, Jaquan, it's like, that's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly what's happening. Jaquan Johnson is making all pro po a ton of money right now. <laughs> yes. So there's a lot of things there. Um, but let's start, let's kind of just split it in half. Um, let's talk about the pass defense and pass rush. And then the, the other thing we'll talk about is, you know, the rush defense, of course, failing again with over 200 yards on the ground for the Jets. But what, what did you see with the pass defense and the pass rush today or yesterday? Yeah, I was, I, you know, I was stunned with how little they brought down Zach Wilson, especially with the way he played in that Patriots game. But again, credit to Salah and his team for really coaching up Wilson and coming up with a very safe game plan for him. Zach Wilson got the ball out on his average drop back in a Brady-like 2.31 seconds. Um, they had quick one-read routes for him on plays where Wilson um, didn't have an option to go to. He was perfectly happy to take off and run. He chose his running opportunities very, very wisely. He threw the ball away, lived to fight another day on several plays where last week against the Patriots... Uh, he was chucking it up at, at, with with a hope and a prayer, and more often than not, that prayer was answered by a by an opposing DB for New England. But not so in this game. Wilson managed the game very nicely. He did not give that Buffalo Bills pass rush a whole lot of opportunity to get to him. Von Miller, he was only sacked twice in that game, and Von Miller's only sack of the game took 4.4 seconds to get like Wilson was yeah. it's it just insane it was it, it was just an insane game plan but credit to Zach Wilson high school musical backup dancer for executing <laughs> the game plan remarkably yes. 
Um, and credit to Sala and his team for understanding what they do and they don't have in Wilson. Um, it, JJ, the, the coverage was, and again, it was expected because Poyer was out. You've got the two backup safeties in. Um, you still don't have Trey White in the, in the game. And you lost, you know, your best cover linebacker, really, in Matt Milano as well. So lots, lots of issues. The, but the Buffalo Bills were doing really well sticking to the New York Jets in man. Um, they actually put a lot of press man off the line, and it was working really well. Where it ultimately fell apart was when anything got to the second level or beyond because Hamlin and Jock Johnson didn't have any answers for it. And Taron Johnson had an uncharacteristic, well, it's actually becoming more characteristic, um, bad game as well. So even when Dane Jackson, even when Kyrie Elam or Christian Benford were doing their job in man or doing their job in zone and passing off to the back half of the, of the secondary, Hamlin and Jock Johnson weren't doing their job. And Taron Johnson really faltered in both the cover game and in run stopping as well. You know, Johnson, uh, Taron Johnson this year, JJ, has hit, hit a bit of a regression. Last year was an incredible year for him. When opposing QBs targeted Taron Johnson, he only allowed a 50%, 55% completion rate and a uh, quarter uh, passer rating of like 75, which is well below the league average of 100. This year, he's allowing a 69% completion rate, and that that quarterback passer rating is much closer to 100 at 98 He's also allowed almost as many yards through eight games this year as he did all of last year to opposing wideouts. There's something going on with Taron Johnson. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that that starting secondary has been so beat up and so inconsistent. Because Johnson, don't get me wrong, is a great player, but he's not a feature piece in that defense. He's a puzzle piece, but yeah. not a feature piece like Poyer or Trey White. And I think that's part of the problem. He's having being asked to do a little bit more, and he's getting exploited by opposing defenses. And we saw it against the Jets. Well, and he is he is like so many. There's so many NFL players who can be described in this way where he's the kind of player that requires consistency and leadership and like other elite players around him to shine because then he can't be exposed, right? And that's, you know, he's a guy you can win with. He's not a guy you win because of. And that's saying something because I'm a huge Taron Johnson fan and his huge clutch plays in the playoff game against uh, the uh, Baltimore Ravens and then again, you know, um, the, the pick six interception he had during that year on, was it Monday Night Football against the Steelers? Like, he is, he is a great big play talent in the defense, but you need to build that on the foundation of being a good, solid corner who is not picked on in regular play, and he has he's not there right now. And I, I think you nailed it. I think that from what I've seen, kind of rewatching games and looking at all 22 and stuff like that, he's not playing in positions much different than he has in the past, but the big difference is that he doesn't have Tredavious White, Micah Hyde, and Jordan Poyer, and in some cases, Matt Milano, right? Like, in this case particularly. For sure. He doesn't have those other players tightening down the windows in order to uh, make his availability to make those big splash plays easier, right? The windows are much more open because he closes it so much, but he relies on other players, players to close it the rest of the way so that he can get the defense or get the pick. Um, and right now, Taron Johnson doesn't have another player to help him close the window. Agreed. Um, 
And, you know, again, the, the pass rush, even though it didn't bring down Wilson yesterday, it was doing its job. I mean, they pressured the hell out of Wilson. They only sacked him twice, but I think they hit or knocked him down 10 total times um, yesterday. And he was under pressure quite a bit from Ed Oliver and Von Miller in particular. Um, but again, he had he had well-scripted outlets. Garrett Wilson, uh, yet another rookie, rookie wide receiver, having a big day against the Buffalo Bills. He went 8 for 92, provided a lot of great opportunities. And then, as we said before, the Jets really had the run game going. And, and J.J., a, a lot of it, I think, not so coincidentally, really did focus on the injury to, to Greg Rousseau. Greg Rousseau has been lauded this year as a result of his his uh, leap in the pass rush game. But even last year as a rookie, was an exceptionally important piece of this run defense. Has been again this year. And there was a noticeable difference when he went out of the game in the second half versus the first half stats. Yeah, absolutely. So in the first half with Greg Rousseau, um, you know, they had seven, seven attempted rushes, the Jets did. Uh, where they had four or less yards gained, and many of those were no gains or losses. And so that's seven, you know, what we'd consider an unsuccessful run plays. But then they had five attempts where they gained four or more, including, you know, they had a 20-yard and a 15-yard. They had some big explosive runs. Um, but, yeah, seven bad plays, five good plays. In the second half, Rousseau went out with an ankle sprain um, right before halftime. And in the second half, uh, when they came back out, the Jets again attempted more runs, and then they had eight failed run attempts of four or less yards, um, but then 11 attempts that gained four or more yards. And of those 11, you know, seven of them are in the four to 10 range, but the other four are 12 or more yard gains. They, a couple of 15s, a 25, like they were just eating it up. And it was, it was a lot of different things. One of those things was that Daquan, uh, Daquan Jones was not penetrating at all he was getting eaten up in double teams and washed out and not being effective enough that the guard or the tackle wasn't able to scrape up to the second lot the second line of the defense and that's really where the Jets run game took over was their their offensive line which I thought was kind of bad coming in just looking at kind of their performance yeah like they had they they were playing inspired though you know me as a big fan of offensive line play. I do. Watching those those guards and tackles scrape off of what I consider some of the best def- de- general defenders in the entire league on the Bills, and that's me being a homer, but that's also me just being rational and a football fan. Um, scrape off of those defenders who are being capably handled and turned by their, their teammate, scrape off and get up to the second level, and then push Tremaine Edmonds out of the way. Or push Tremaine Edmonds into Demar Hamlin and get two blocks with one shove, like it was just I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Um, yeah, I mean they just and and I think you're right, Greg Rousseau with his length, his speed, um, and his he's got solid savvy as a second year player of being able to set the edge and turn everything inside and keep you know gap sound. Um, made, that made a huge difference in what the Bills were able to shut down. Again, you know injuries is kind of the story of the the Bills' woes. Um, I hope that he can come back quickly from that ankle because they really desperately need him. Uh, you know, um, Von Miller, I think he was he was a little bit, he reminded me a little bit of Josh Allen um, in the second half of the Green Bay game in terms of he started gripping because he was frustrated at the way the game was, hand, was going. And that meant that he was out of position on, I think, five or six rush snaps I saw where they took the gap that should have been his. 
and turned it into a gain of four more yards. Um, yeah, he was playing some hero because ball. Because he was, yeah, he was, he was, tr- yeah, he was playing hero ball. He was out of position. He wasn't doing his one eleventh. He was just trying to get in there and make a splash play, which you love as a com- competitor. But you really needed him to be in the rush lane because the the Jets were just marching up and down the field. You know, first downs after first downs with that running game, uh, especially on that the game winning drive in the fourth quarter where they ate up six minutes of time and went what ninety six yards or ninety ninety two yards and kicked the field goal um, to go ahead. Like that was just yeah, golly, thir- that was bananas. <laughs> Thirteen plays, eighty six yards, six minutes and ten seconds, and that drive involved eight straight run plays. Yes. Eight straight run plays. They didn't throw the ball with Wilson until they got into the Bills' red zone. Yeah, yeah, it was that was that was a that was a killer that killed me. I died. Um, yeah. yeah. So on the defensive side, I'd agree with you in terms of um, Taron Johnson is looking, you know, not looking like the top top three, top five slot corner that he was billed to be at different times last season, and and certainly played up to that that kind of level. Um, he's in a bit of a slump for some reason. And I think it's because of the missing pieces around him. Um, it, he plays so much better with Milano and reliable out, outside, outside corners and those two safeties. I think this is the other thing is not only is Jaquan Johnson earning Jordan Poyer money, but at any L's that they stack up while Poyer's out, um, even if he's injured, that's not hurting his value. <laughs> you, know, it's, you might say availability is the, is the greatest ability. Um, and Poirier right now is like not putting that up on the the stat sheet, but I actually think he might earn more than he loses every game he's injured. That the Bills' defense looks awful, um, and they didn't look awful. I mean, that's the thing is it's tough because they got ate up on the ground and with in the rushing game, but um, that I could count up as an aberration. They still held the team down to twenty. They still got pressure on Zach Wilson all game. The scheme was smart to keep him on the on his feet and, and out of the dirt, but. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a lot that they could have done, uh, and holding any team to 20 should get you a win with that offense. It should, and it didn't. I mean, again, I think as we wrap this up here, while there were some issues on the defensive side, I think we can chalk a lot of it up to general health of that defense. And when those guys get back, Poyer, Milano, Rousseau, um, Trey White, I think that, that Buffalo's Bills defense is going to look like the more complete unit we were expecting at the beginning of the season. There are not as many answers on the offensive side of the ball because that wideout room is healthy. Dawson Knox, to our knowledge, is healthy. And that offensive line outside of Spencer Brown is healthy. There are There is no cavalry coming for that, for that third wide receiver option and that offensive line. They're going to have to roll with the guys that they got unless they make a play for OBJ, which we can talk about at a later date. Um, but they're going to have to roll with the guys they got and it's going to be up to Ken Dorsey, Sean McDermott, Aaron Cromer, and ultimately Josh Allen to figure out a way to get these guys the ball and round this offense out into the unguardable unit we thought it was going to be at the beginning of the season. Right now, it's not looking like it. Yeah. Yep, no, I agree. And, uh, you know, the the Bills um, are getting eaten alive. Their, their line is pretty poor at pass blocking uh, after starting the season very very good at it. Um, I don't know that they're always good at it. I think Josh Allen was just more successful at escaping sacks the first four or five games. <sighs> that's really has been the yeah. last two or three. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, really what really, it is. It's, it's hard. It's yeah. tar- it, if you watch the tape, even in the first, first four games, I wouldn't have called them an excellent pass blocking unit. 
Um, I think it, he was just kind of saving them a little bit. And now he's not yeah. been saving them as often, and their real the real warts are showing. I mean, that's why I look at total pressures and not pressure success rate, because the pressure success yes. rate is 50% the opposing defensive line, and then 50% your QB's escapability. And we have yep. Houdini under center and Josh Allen. So he makes up for a lot of broken pre- pass protection with his raw athleticism. That's, that's why, though, I look at total pressures. And again, Allen, one of the most pressured QBs in the league this year. If there was anybody else behind center, and we might see it on Sunday with Case Keenum, it, you got to wonder if, if that QB would be as upright on most plays as Josh Allen is. No, I, I agree, and it's it's hard. It's hard. We, I mean, and just like this, we're we're talking about the defense to close the pod and, and this recap, and yet we're right back to right back um, to the O line. About how worried, yeah, how worried we are about the offense and the O line, and so, yeah, I mean, this was rough. The the Bills still sit atop the AFC East, um, but it's only because they've already had their bye and don't have a third loss. If they uh, register a third loss, then the Jets and Dolphins will be tied for first over the Bills. Um, and so that, that, I mean, I would never in the world have bet that the Buffalo Bills after, you know, um, week nine would, <laughs> would potentially be third in the AFC East behind the Jets and the Dolphins to whom they lost to both. Like that's bananas. That's Owen, just bananas. Owen two in the division every year, man, Kansas city is our Super Bowl. And then we come back from the bye with like this weird little hangover. We suck the next seven yeah. games in a row. It's freaking crazy. Hopefully that's not uh, the case. Hopefully that's not yeah. the case, man. And we should we, we should really wrap this up because uh, we can't get too dark because we also have a, a Minnesota Vikings pregame to do. And we're going to wait until we get yes. the injury news about Josh Allen to give you 17 to 32 regular listeners on all podcast platforms a full breakdown of that game. That's right. That's right. We love you all, each and every one. Yes. You know, and again, if you want, maybe skip this one, but please share the pod with friends. <laughs> That's really dark share, share, our funny, share our funnier pods yeah. with friends. That share, Kansas City share pregame. Share one. Yeah. You know, yeah. Much like the yeah. Buffalo yeah. Bills peaking with their Kansas City game, we may have peaked on this pod yes. with our Kansas yes. City pregame. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, go back to that. But, um, but come here for, uh, you know, unsolicited amateur medical conversation. You know, if you like. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the the best medical advice you're you're gonna get outside of Facebook. <laughs> there you go. I appreciate that endorsement. All right. Well, uh, you know, for Dan and JJ, this was Buffalo Bread, the uh wrap up for the Jets Bills game. Um we are at the halfway point of the season and uh and hopefully can uh, can have a healthy Josh Allen and a much healthier roster going into the game at home against the Minnesota Vikings this coming Sunday, and we'll do a preview of that later this week. Until then, uh, Dan, go Bills. Go Bills.